Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code Carnivorist. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast. First of all, Tabitha, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me to be on here. It's an absolute honor. Uh, Tabitha, um, the listeners should know that I first uh, heard you and was in the meeting with Dr. Baker, and I was immediately struck and inspired by your story. Um, In fact, your story, when I was listening to it, inspired me to get out there and tell my own. And I just want to thank you for taking the opportunity to go out there and tell your story. I can't wait for those that haven't heard it to hear it today. Give us a little bit of background before we go too deep into the story about your your coming up, where you were born, how you were raised, um, sort of the, the sort of the things that made Tabitha Myers the lady who she is today. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. That's maybe more <laughs> deep than you want to go into. But um, yeah, I I grew up pretty much in this area. Um, and, you know, just a kid of the 80s, uh, my mother, you know, worked really hard and we ate a lot of TV dinners, you know, we drank a lot of sodas, a lot of Coke, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis back then put on the way you ate. It's just really, we just kind of ate what we could afford and what was convenient. My mother, you know, she was a full-time working parent. Um, and I had a stepdad in the mix too, but, um, we, we were kind of a blended family, but, um, yeah, just, you know, grow, grew, grew up eating the way that we all ate in the eighties, you know, um, margarine, parquet, um, you know, to actually have real butter in the refrigerator, that was kind of unheard of, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't something that we did. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of what else, uh, you know, they're really no, no diet sodas in that sense. I remember like tab and I always remember that because of my name, Tabitha. And a lot of people call me tab, um, which is kind of the, you know, the, the diet soda that people would drink back then. But, um, yeah, just, uh, just grew up pretty much, you know, a normal eighties or kid of the eighties, like everybody else. (laughs) Yep. Tabitha in your sort of discussion uh, that I heard with Dr. Baker, you decide, you describe yourself in your 20s and 30s as a health seeker. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that come about? And we'll start talking about how you first got into the ketogenic diet. I know that uh, you had a period where you were vegetarian. I know I was for decades and then vegan, Mm -hmm. and it definitely had some impacts on you. So if you could just expand on that a little for the listeners, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say probably the roots of it was more so from a vanity uh, standpoint, you know, uh, I would be lying if I, if I said otherwise, um, you know, we didn't have the internet back then, but we had magazines and I subscribed to, you know, fit magazines, muscle her, just all these different things. And that I would say would be probably the catalyst that sort of started me on the trajectory of, okay, maybe I'm not living my healthiest lifestyle, you know, struggling with a few vanity pounds. I've never been, overweight or obese, but I've always, um, you know, as a woman, you know, sought to lose five, 10, 15 pounds, I would be happier 
if I looked a certain way, I'd be happier if I weighed a certain way. You know, I always, I really did equate my value and worth to a number on a scale. And that was something that, you know, probably, you know, I could blame it on society, but a lot of that I really did to myself. Um, and then, you know, as the years sort of churned, I do have uh, some really close friends, my best friend, in fact, they, um, they began basically homesteading and farming. And so I sort of sort of learned more and more, you know, through their lifestyle, what, you know, we thought was the healthier ways of living. And then, of course, a lot of some mainstream, you know, stuff sort of filtered into that. Um, and yes, you know, mainstream, you know, told us that saturated fat was bad, less protein. I mean, I would buy like the leanest cuts of meat, I would buy ground turkey and cut it in, in a pound of ground turkey or ground chicken, cut it in half and freeze the other half. And we would just, I mean, it was basically like making, you know, that as our condiment, but I would make a big pot of spaghetti and I would put all kinds of vegetables in it, you know, thinking that I needed to eat, you know, more vegetables, more vegetables. And the meat was just really the condiment, lots of pastas and that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, so that sort of kind of led me into, um, you know, just thinking that, you know, we needed to eat more vegetables, less meat, and we really didn't eat a lot of beef. Uh, I'm, I'm the cook of, of my husband, you know, my husband, obviously, he, he grills and stuff like that, but I'm the cook of the house, so he eats what I eat, what I fix. And I really feel bad now, like looking back on all those years, but I thought I was doing the right thing, you know, trying to maintain weight, trying to, you know, just, live, you know, what I thought was more so the healthy lifestyle. Um, in, in 2011, his father was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer. And that's really what set me on the trajectory. Uh, yeah. Really, truly seeking health. Um, my husband was extremely close with his father. They were best friends, thick as thieves. And so when that hit us, it was very devastating. When you had first mentioned that, I have a note down here to just discuss how that impacted you with that diagnosis because I think I recall that you and you're probably about to tell us that you started juicing with him at the time sort of just to support him and, and, and his diagnosis and his treatment and uh, how that affected you as well right absolutely so prior to that is when I um I, I really got involved with um uh, like Dr. Mercola he's probably one of my all-time favorite you know, health gurus, but even some of the stuff back then that he was putting out was a little too much for me to take in. And I was like, okay, I, this is, you know, I can't, I can't process all this information. It's kind of like unlearning. I was during, I was going through the process of unlearning a lot of things that I had been taught my entire life. And it was just, it was a lot, right? It was just, so I had already had that once. Um, and, and it wasn't just Merkel, it was a lot of other doctors too that was beginning to follow online, you know, that's, you know, progress into like the internet and the days of Google and all that kind of stuff. So long story short, yes, when he was diagnosed, it was devastating, um, you know, obviously to our family and my husband and I had already just knew at that point that the standard of care uh, wasn't um, maybe the best. And I, I want to be really clear, I'm not against standard of care whatsoever. And I'll get into that with my story. But there is a lot of informed patients. There's a lot of um, rushing people into uh, treatment without them being able to decide for themselves what's the best for me, what's, you know, do the, 
uh, pros outweigh the cons, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, to his father, you know, being in a certain age group and living a certain lifestyle, he was not open to a lot of the, um, I guess, call it woo-woo stuff that, you know, my husband and I were already being, you know, waking up to and, and being aware of. And so um, we watched him go through the standard of care, which included surgery, chemo, radiation. And it was horrible. It was horrible. Um, within the first two years, he was diagnosed as uh, being in remission, which we all know he wasn't. And, but there was no lifestyle change whatsoever that came with that. You know? I, never knew, I never knew that piece of the puzzle that he had actually been diagnosed as being in remission. That's, that's yeah. um, wow. Okay, sorry to interrupt again. It's just very, such a story. Okay. Yeah, and well, and actually we just recently moved and um, I didn't understand, I've had to learn a lot of things about from my own situation about labs and what medical terms mean and what, um, I mean, there, there's just a whole education process that goes with it. And I, it, it's so hard because you always say, I mean, you want to look back and say, I wish I knew then what I know now, but there's no changing it. You know, he, he is no longer with us. He did succumb to, you know, his illness. But anyways, um, after the, after year two, he was quote unquote, I wouldn't say in remission because I think actually it's year five that they say in remission, but he was. Uh, NED, which is no evidence of disease based on the testing. And so um, there was no, you know, again, no lifestyle change. He moves forward and is just going through follow-ups. And within two years of that, um, he was diagnosed with stage four. It, and he, his original diagnosis was stage two, which I had thought it was a stage three, but it wasn't. Um, there's with, with colon cancer, we were both diagnosed with the same thing, colon cancer. And so um, there's different stages within the stages. And his was a 2C. I just recently learned this. Again, when we moved, I found his medical records. And um, I read them, and I was just mortified because he was stage 2C, no positive lymph nodes. It had not spread. And he really just became a product of standard of care, um, weakening, weakening his system and et cetera. So anyways... He was told that he was NED, and then within two years, it came back with a vengeance because what a lot of cancer patients don't understand is that the uh, standard of care treatment targets the actual tumor cells. It does not target the stem cells or the circulating tumor cells. They're called, your, the tumor cell itself is called a mother, and then the cells that spread off from it are called the daughter, and they are in your system regardless of positive lymph nodes or not. And a lot of people just aren't told that. They're not, they're not told that these therapies don't target those cells. Now those cells haven't gone on to become a full cancer cell, but they're still floating around in the system and they can still be triggered to plop somewhere and basically grow their own blood supply, um, et cetera. It, 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 I can get into a lot of things. I can get sidetracked with that. But anyways, um, yes, yeah, so he, it came back as a basically stage four. He had, um, I can't remember when he went through chemo the first time, how many rounds of chemo that he did, but it was a lot. And it was just awful to watch. I mean, he couldn't drink anything super cold because it was like, he said it was like swallowing glass. He couldn't drink anything super hot because of the same thing. He had mouth ulcers. 
Um, he had to stay out of the sun, which, you know, I mean, right there, that was my number one red flag. They're telling him, stay out of the sun because, you know, of the treatment that you're going through. And um, I, my entire life, I have said, didn't even know it, but I said, I'm solar powered. I need to be in the sun. Um, and, you know, just, he was weak. He had muscle cramps. I mean, and, you know, he had constant pain from the cancer. I mean, it was just, it was just awful to watch. And so then they told him at that point, um, we can't give you any more radiation. We've given you all the radiation that we can give you. If we give you any more, we will certainly kill you. That's what he was told by his oncologist. And then um, they said, but we can offer you more chemotherapy. And he went through, I want to say maybe two more rounds. And he's like, I can't do this. I mean, it, it was, it was, he knew like that was going to be his demise if it continued that way. Then he tried a, uh, a chemo pill for a little while, which none of that, you know, I, I can tell from my own experience with my own oncologist, what I was told about the chemo pill. Um, it's just, um, it, it's, it's not, it's not going to do what a lot of people think it's going to do in that situation. Um, so unfortunately we, we lost him in 2017 after six years and hit the last year of his life was the worst. It was absolutely horrific to witness. Um, my husband and, um, his basically stepmom was the total caregivers, especially the last six months of their life. And, um, I just, you know, I, we were, we were also diving in and trying to learn everything that we could to save him because back backing up to the juicing and the um the the whole vegetable things we we were just grasping at straws we were just yeah. we were willing to try anything to help help him through the process to feel better to you know have some vitality and you know just anything and so you know I, I, juicing was really popular and we we bought him a juicer i had a juicer and so yes we were trying to juice in solidarity with him just to get some nutrition in him um because what the, the you know the medical staff had him on was insure and i already knew that that stuff was just a chemical you know crap storm basically um and so that's where that came from and uh i was at that point in my life too that was around i want to say 2015 2014, 2015, I was in a very high stress job. And so I've got all this going on in my personal life, you know, because, you know, my husband is going through just hell with, with the situation. I'm in a really high stressed job. I'm a high stressed person anyways. I don't project it on the outside, but internally I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I'm an overachiever to a fault. And so I could have, you know, absolutely nothing going on that I will I will figure out a way to put stress on myself. So I had all this going on and I was also feeling just horrible. Um, I, and I, I was convinced it was my thyroid. I, I was convinced. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm sleeping eight, nine hours and I'm waking up feeling awful. I'm, you know, just, I have no energy. I had, I had no desire. I just wanted to be a hermit. I didn't even want to be around people. Now, again, we had a, a bunch of emotional stuff going on, but I just wasn't, I didn't feel my normal self. So I, I made an appointment. I went to a doctor. And at this point, um, you know, I was just trying to figure out, you know, what was, what was going on with my, you know, thyroid. Well, of course the test came back that everything was normal. And I, I'm sure I didn't even have a, a normal 
or a full thyroid panel ran at the time. Um, but a friend of mine had given me a book uh, by a doctor named Sarah Gottfried, and she's on here too. I follow her, and and she talked about like a 21-day reset, and part of it was testing your blood sugar to see, you know, what your fasted glucose is every morning. So I went to the grocery store, got a glucometer, and I started testing for 30 days my, my glucose, and I was journaling it every day. And I basically self-discovered that I was pre-diabetic, even at a, a normal weight. Like I said, I've never been obese, but, you know, it's always been like 5 to maybe 15 pounds. Um, and so I, I was mortified by that. I was just, you know, just really shocked. And so that's, you know, also put me into the ketogenic world and learning, um, you know, again, from people like Dr. McCullough, like how significant the ketogenic uh, diet is for cancers, um, that sort of thing. And so that's what led me away from the juicing and uh, veg being, you know, eating all the vegetables. Even when I did keto, though, I will say there was still that, um, you know, I've got to eat a lot of vegetables. Like I would buy the big things of like spring mix and I would put it in a bowl. And I mean, I even posted this on Instagram, but I would use like um, kitchen shears to cut it up in the bowl. Cause I'm like, Hey, look, I've found out this really cool trick and it's a good way to get all the, you know, more greens inside of you. So I'm like eating probably, I don't know, a pound of, you know, greens or whatever cut up with just a little bit of maybe like chicken breast or a little, you know, piece of salmon or whatever. And it was just, it was still there where I was doing the ketogenic way. I was still eating uh, way, probably way more carbohydrates than I should have even through the plant sources as well as um, probably a lot of keto junk food, you know, to, I fell yes. prey to the whole Quest stuff, you know, not to, you know, call out certain brands, but, you know, it is what I did. I bought the Quest bars, I ate the Quest chips, um, just couldn't get out of my head that, you know, one ingredient, Whole Foods, was truly going to be the best for me. Just incredible. It must be for you looking back on it and, having now, which we're leading up to you going through your own journey with not only cancer, but the same type of cancer. It's just an amazing story. And the listeners are just going to be astounded when they hear you talk about it. What I wanted to touch on quickly was you had a history of diabetes in your family as well. Wasn't your mother diabetic as, as well? Yes, my mother uh, was diagnosed officially with type 2 diabetes, I want to say maybe five or six years ago. And, um, and it was, was during my father-in-law's process. And she, you know, of course, through me, um, finally learned and, and adopted a low-carb lifestyle. Um, I really try to get her to be more ketogenic and in ketosis. Um, it, it's, it's a challenge, uh, but she's trying really hard, and she's done really well. She is off all medication. She was on the highest dose of metformin that she could take, yes, she was on blood pressure medicine. She was on diuretic. She was on numerous things. And she, she definitely gets it. I, I have to give her, you know, props where props are due. She, uh, you know, and especially watching me go through what I've gone through, I think it really just kind of hit the nail on the head for her. Um, I would say she's probably still pre-diabetic and she would, you know, say the same thing if she were sitting right here. Um, she still struggles with, um, you know, blood sugar issues. But she is learning to be able to control that on her own without medication. And she knows when she knows what to do, essentially, when she's 
um, not feeling her best, you know, she, she now sees it and she even is trying some, I wouldn't say that she's carnivore, but she does carnivore meals. It, it runs in, I guess, our family. My um, uncle, her brother was also diabetic, type two diabetes. Um, and he sadly passed away from a stroke uh, at an early age. Uh, he was 48 years old, which is my age. I'm 48. Um, at, from a stroke from diabetes. And, um, you know, I wish we would have known back then what we know now to have been able to help him. But yeah, I just, I look back over my life and the examples that I've had, you know, God uses everything is what I always say. And, um, you know, I, I obviously have a lot of regrets with certain family members, but I also know that sometimes there's just lessons and things and you have to just trust the process and you have to still learn from it, you know, just, you know, what is the lesson here and what am I supposed to do with this now type thing. Um, so Tabitha, let's, t let's jump forward now. I know your, your journey. So you are now, sadly, you've lost your father-in-law 2017. How are you doing on the ketogenic diet? And I know the big uh, sort of moment for you comes in August, 2020 after COVID is hit. Just tell the listeners now what's sort of the, this, this period and how are you feeling during that time leading up to this August, 2020 event? Yeah, absolutely. So I w I'm a full believer in the ketogenic diet. I saw so many improvements in my health. Um, you know, my weight was a lot easier to maintain. Uh, the way I felt though was the most important thing. Like when I, um, could and, and I hadn't even bought it this time. I was still just using a little, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a little predometer that I had bought at like CVS or something. Um, but I, now I have a Keto Mojo, but I hadn't even gotten into the, the realm of like testing for ketones yet. Um, but I could just tell, you know, just how I would feel. I would wake up, you know, just in a good mood. I mean, this really just the best way to put it. I would just wake up in a good mood. I didn't have dread. I didn't, you know, have... Um, just the 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 level of um just a sour mood that i had had before i just i had the energy in this process too i will say that um i actually changed jobs and and it's the same you know company that i work for now and it has been just a huge blessing as well um it, it's 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 still a stressful job but it's not the same kind of stress um so that was definitely an improvement. And I just fully believed in, you know, just being in, in ketosis because I could, you know, I just, I could feel it. That's the, it's, everybody says that. And I know that a lot of people listening are probably going, but what does it feel like? You know, tell us what it feels like. And it's hard to describe. I mean, it is a little bit different for everybody, but I just, I felt like my mind was sharp. My words were clear. My vocabulary was on point. Um, my, that the points that I wanted to make in conversations was easy. You know, I could just articulate what I wanted, what I wanted to say. And then, you know, I had to go on long road trips for work and I catch myself, I've got the sunroof open and I'm like, just jamming to music. I mean, I'm just enjoying life. I'm not thinking about work and gosh, I have to travel and gosh, I have to do this. I'm like, it all of a sudden became, I, I have to do something to now I get to do something. And it's just, it was just a complete mental shift. That's what, that's what ketosis did for me. Tell us now about August, 2020 and, and just sort of that, that day, I understand that you had some severe pain going on that had started. Yeah, and so what I will preface this to you. What I've learned also about cancer is that 
from the time that it is actual, actually detectable from imaging, from blood work, from anything else, is a 10-year process. So, you know, we, we all know that we have cancer cells floating around our body. It's not quite the same, but your immune system takes care of things. But when there's a compromise in the immune system somewhere, it allows for the cancer to take place and begin to grow. And, it, it, and from that, you know, first mark to about the 10-year mark, when it's actually now detectable, and they say we caught it early, you, you've probably, and this is well-documented, well-documented, this is not my opinion, this is well-documented science, um, that it's probably been about actually 10 years growing. I don't know in my case, because in August of 2020, um, I had, well, we all know what was going on in 2020. That was a very stressful year for everybody. And um, I work from home, so, um, and I do a little bit of travel, but so I, I didn't quite have the stress that everybody else was experiencing, but there was still the doom and gloom and just the unknown of what was, what was happening, what was going on and that sort of thing. And then of course, you know, there were people that were getting ill, sick, whatever. And I had, I had a couple of times where I just, I can't really describe it, but I didn't feel my best. Um, the, the best way, I, there was like no pain or anything like that. The best way I could tell anybody is that I just felt really fatigued. Like, I had to literally take a few days off from work and just lay in bed and rest. That's just how I felt. And that was probably like early March. And then everything was fine. You know, I took a couple of days off. Everything was fine. And then I felt that way again probably sometime around May, June-ish. And it was just for a day or two. And then fast forward into August, I, I really just didn't feel good. Like I had no appetite. I just felt very fatigued. Um, I, I did have some constipation that was going on and that just not feeling good lasted for about 72 hours. Cause I remember one day, um, uh, this was right before we went to the emergency room. My husband came in and he goes, are you sure you're okay? He's like, do you want to, do you want to go see a doctor? And I was like, you know what the, the, what it's like right now trying to get a doctor's appointment. I don't even know how I would tell somebody what I'm feeling. I don't even know where they would start to look. I don't know what this is. I'm like, I'm not sick. It's not like a virus or anything, but I just I don't feel good. I don't know how else to say it. Well, into that night, um, I started feeling um, just, so, yes, the severe abdominal pain. And I, I had an atopic pregnancy in 2020, uh, where one of my fallopian tubes burst, and I was uh, bleeding internally, my abdominal was filling up with blood. Well, this was the exact same feeling. And so my husband was getting ready to leave for work. And just instinctively, I said, I think I need to go to the emergency room. And he said, really? And I was like, yeah, because he just said, are you going to go see a doctor? I was like, no, I don't know what this is. And then here we are a few, maybe 12 hours later. And I'm like, I think you need to take me to the emergency room. So when I got out of bed, I mean, I couldn't even stand up straight. I literally, you know, he oh, basically carried me down the stairs and I walked, you know, to the car, hunched over. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up straight. Well, we now know that my, um, I had a perforation and I was filling up with blood and that's essentially what was going on. Um, so he takes me to the emergency room and, um, you know, they are wanting to do imaging. Um, they're like, that's, that's the, the first thing that they want to start off with. And they make you drink this stuff basically die um, so that they can do the imaging and see what's going on. 
And I remember the ER doc coming in and he said, um, he's like, do you, do, you, do you know that you have chronic inflammation in your abdomen? And I said, no, I didn't know that. And he said, yeah, he's like, we need to admit you. Something's going on here. And my husband and I are just looking because, you know, we're unfortunately at this point, we're very suspicious of, you know, just over procedures in, in the medical world. You know, there's just a lot of unnecessary procedures. And our, we called, you know, some friends of ours and for advice. And they were like, yeah, maybe you should just let them go ahead and admit you. Just gather all the information. You don't have to agree to anything. Just gather all the information that you can, et cetera. And at this point, they had given me Dilaudid, so I was feeling great. <laughs> I wasn't feeling a lot of pain. Uh, and they admitted me. Um, well, during that process, too, they, um, they, they did a stool test, and they said that I tested positive for C. diff. And I was like, what is that? I had never heard of this in my entire life. And they said, yeah, we don't, we don't understand. They were like, but well, we're seeing... In this particular area, we're seeing a big rise in, in C. diff in people. And they're like, this is pretty, you know, this is pretty serious. So, of course, I get on my phone and I'll start looking it up and, you know, read all the horror stories where people have, have to actually have everything completely removed. Um, and it's just, I was like, C. diff? Like, I had no symptoms. I wouldn't, I, where did this come from? I, we know now that when they're, it, when you're in the emergency room, they basically do those PCR tests. You can test positive for everything um, because they're, they're like so super sensitive. And a lot of the population has C. diff in their intestines. It doesn't mean anything bad. You, you have like a population of a million different bacteria in your, in your gut anyways. It's just what is the most predominant. So they used, you know, that they were going by that. And um, I'm, again, I'm not, I don't want to speak ill of any medical staff. I, I was, they were doing the best that they could with the information they had. You know, they were trying to take the best care of me. So uh, I was admitted and um, about seven o'clock that night, they, they were continuing to give me pain meds too. They were giving me pain meds every two hours. And uh, I was still in tremendous pain, um, but every time I would get it, it would help subside. So uh, around seven o'clock, you know, they told my husband he had to leave because they didn't, you know, it was during COVID and, and we were fortunate enough that we were even in a hospital where they actually allowed family members in. I couldn't imagine going through any of that, you know, completely solo. Um, but the, and one of the doctors came in and I, I had like so many attending physicians at this point um, because uh, they called in um, somebody because of the C. diff and I can't remember, uh, uh, infectious disease doctor, uh, a colorectal surgeon, just several different people, you know, based on the imaging. And they, they said they really still couldn't see anything on the imaging because I was so inflamed, essentially. So, um, one of the doctors that came in, my husband asked, he said, her pain level, he's like, my dad, uh, he said, I lost my dad to um, colon cancer. And he could, we, we've been through all, you know, we've been through all this in a nutshell. He said, but her pain level reminds me of his perforation because he had also had a perforation. Are you sure she does not have a perforation? And the doctor was like, oh, no, 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 no. We would see it. We would absolutely know. We would 100%. So my husband leaves and around midnight, you know, I'm laying in the bed in a lot of pain. Uh, a radiologist comes in and she said, we are going, we, the doctor has ordered imaging. 
that doctor uh, who my husband was talking to said that he left, and he, but he couldn't get it out of his head that maybe she does have perforation. Maybe that is what this is. So he ordered imaging, and it still took you know, several hours for them to come to me. Uh, they didn't take me down to the radiologist. They actually came to me, and they did imaging there in the bed, which was extremely, <laughs> extremely painful because I had to lay flat. Um, but anyways, I heard her. I was crying and screaming at this point, but I heard her go outside and say, this is an emergency. She has dye in places that she shouldn't have. And so what had happened when I drank the dye for the oh, wow. CT scan, it went out into um, the, my body into like, they could see it in like my muscles and stuff just from the x-ray. Um, and so that's how they were like, okay, she has a perforation and this is an emergency situation. So they said, call your husband back. We're going to do emergency surgery. And, um, so he came back to the hospital and they, the surgeon came in to talk to me and he was so matter of fact, he was like, okay, yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take out, you know, a foot of your colon. You may have to have an ileostomy. And I felt like I was hit by a train because I was like, well, wait a minute, you're going to you're going to take out parts of my body. I don't want to lose parts of my body. You know, at this point, knowing what all the things are in you, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, walk away from the situation with a foot of my colon removed because I knew how important all organs are. I mean, we are, we are miraculously and just created in the image of God. Every single body part is important. That's how I feel. And so um, the, he kind of, uh, the doctor, I remember asking, I said, uh, I, I feel like I'm just too young for this. And he said, oh, I just did this on an 18-year-old last week. And, I, and it still didn't make me feel any better. And I said, okay, well, but how many of these do you do? And he, he kind of he got offended. And I said, listen, I'm not like trying to... Um, I'm not trying to question your credentials. He was an older gentleman. If I had to guess, he looked like he was maybe 60s, late 60s. And I said, I'm not trying to question your credentials. I'm just trying to understand, like, this is a big deal to me. Like, you're telling me something that I just, you know, I walked in, I, in my head, I walked into the emergency room with stomach ache, <laughs> even though I knew it was an emergency. And then here they are telling me uh, I had to have all this done. He ended up not being the surgeon to do the surgery. Um, it ended up being another uh, surgeon, and I don't know why, I don't know what, what happened, but he came in and he was a lot more uh, patient with my husband and I, because we had a lot of questions. I was like, I'm not signing off on anything. I, and he's like, listen, he's like, if we don't do this, he's like, you are going septic. You need to have this done right now. He said, you don't understand how serious this is. You are going septic. And so when he said that, you know, um, I, I understood what that meant. I understood that I was potentially going into organ failure, et cetera. He said, yeah, when I go in and do the surgery, I don't know what I'm going to be dealing with. And yes, there is a good chance you're going to walk away with this with an ileostomy. There's also a good chance I'm going to put you in ICU. And, you know, of course, we're calling all of our friends and family and just letting everybody know. And it, it, it just hit everybody like a ton of bricks, too, because in my friend group, I was always sort of deemed the healthy one because of, you know, the trajectory I had been on trying to learn all the things and implement all the things that I had, you know, through my, through my time. So, um, yes, that morning I had um, the surgery and woke up, unfortunately, with an ileostomy. Um, 
which is where, basically where they disconnect your large intestine um, from your small intestine so that it can rest. That's what they told me. You're going to have this for six to eight weeks because it needs to rest and heal. And um, the, uh, you know, the small intestine actually um, empties out into a bag. Everything is liquefied because there's a, um, you know, some people that have it in placed in their colon section and mine was in the small intestine. That's why it's called an ileostomy. So it's, a, it's just liquid that comes out, but still. Um, and so, you know, the, the, it was, it was major, you know, surgery and they cut me from stem to stern is what I say, because, you know, it was basically from top to bottom. Um, and so through, I was in the hospital for seven days and through that process, um, you know, several doctors kept coming in and checking on me, the surgeon, and I just knew instinctively, it's like, this is, has to be so much more. There's, there's way more to this. I, you know, they kept saying it was diverticulitis. And I'm like, this doesn't happen from diverticulitis. You know, this, there's something else going on here. And so I asked several times, um, several different doctors. I said, you know, could this be cancer? Just level with me. Because like, I'm like, don't sugarcoat anything. Just tell me what I need to know so that I can figure out what I need to do. And they were all like, absolutely not. We don't, you know, one of the doctors, you know, he had on a mask and he took it off and he said, Listen, he said, look at me. He said, I would be shocked if this is cancer. He's like, your labs don't indicate anything. You're, you're completely healthy. And I'm like, healthy? I just had a foot of my colon removed and I have an ileostomy. What do you mean healthy? Um, but that's all that, you know, that, that was all the information that we had, you know, from that point. And so go home. Um, trying to recover from surgery. I had an appointment two weeks later to go back and have the staples removed from the surgery. And uh, that's when the uh, surgeon, I asked him, I was like, hey, did we get the pathology back yet? Because they kept saying it was delayed because it was COVID and there were staffing issues, et cetera. And that's where he said, he's like, yeah, he said, we did. He goes, and we need to talk. And I, I knew right then. I just, you know, instinctively knew. And he said, it is cancer. He said, uh, his words were quote unquote, um, cause it was him and his partner that did the surgery. Um, and he said, you, you shocked the hell out of us. He said, we didn't think this was cancer at all, but he said in this section of, uh, colon that was removed, there was a eight centimeter tu tumor. And so, you know, of course I Google what is eight centimeters and it's the size of an orange. Um, it, it was embedded in the section of colon that was removed and you did have positive lymph nodes. They removed, um, I can't remember now. I want to say it was like 22 or 23 lymph nodes and I had two or three that were positive. And he said, and so we have to classify that as, as stage three. And, um, you know, so from there it was, you know, go home. Um, during that process though, when they were going to remove the, the staples, uh, I had it healed properly. And so the, when the nurse was removing the staples, parts of the incision burst. Um, so I had, you know, about quarter size, just gaps, you know, in between that we had to pack, you know, I had to, you know, I couldn't move a certain way or whatever. My husband, you know, constantly had to keep those packed. They were pretty deep. Um, but I also knew that with open wounds, I wouldn't be pushed into chemotherapy. They won't do it with open wounds. And so I was, you know, sort of, okay, this is going to buy me a little bit of time to do some research here and, and sort of figure some things out. I've heard most of your story prior, um, but not all of it. And you, every time I, I listen to it again, leading up to our chat today, and it's just, 
an absolutely incredible story and, and an incredible journey that you've gone along and to see you today. And we're going to talk about what happens next, but I, it's just unbelievable. If, if you wouldn't be telling me and you hadn't lived it, it's just incredible. And so at this juncture now, you've had the surgery, you have the ileostomy in place, and you've now been sent home. You've discovered it's stage three cancer. I mean, your world's turned upside down. Um, what is next for you on your journey? I, I only can imagine that you start going in and looking at any, any possibility. Well, first of all, I'm sure they gave you options for treatment, and we can discuss that and what the yeah. percentages of chances of them being successful were. You know, I, during the process, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, like, reflection. Um, you know, you, I, there was a lot of guilt too, because of course, you know, my husband had just gone through this with his dad. And then, and then now his wife is diagnosed with just about the same exact, you know, diagnosis. And so, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put him through that again. It was just sort of like, okay, um, I've got to figure this out. Like I have to, uh, I, I know what I know. Um, and I, I will say, too, I had some amazing, absolutely amazing friends and family that just really rallied around us um, and just you tried to support us in the best ways. When I was in the hospital, you know, I was so mad because of the food options. You know, they um, were trying to, to give me, like, pudding, like, literally, like, craft jello and, and and you know just the the pudding cups you know in plastic and uh, you know and i was refusing to eat anything and they were like okay well you can't leave the hospital and we've got to know that you're able to digest some stuff and so like, well then just bring me some eggs and bacon i mean like i'm not going to eat the pancakes i'm not going to eat this meatloaf that i don't even know what's in it um you know they brought me bone broth or um, i'm not even bone broth Sorry, I have, I've tried to close my cat's eyes, my home office here, but they've figured out how to come in. <laughs> That's quite all right. Tell them to join. Yeah. We're happy to see them. <laughs> <laughs> They're a mess. But anyways, I um, I had a friend that brought me bone broth. You know, she was like, I'll bring you the, you know, so we just had, we had such an amazing, you know, support system, um, you know, that just really rallied around us and, and that made things, you know, so much better. Um, I will say that even being in co part of COVID um, helped tremendously too, because my husband was able to take a little bit more time off from work than he would have normally. Um, and of course, I work with, you know, just amazing people that were just take whatever time you need. We're here for you. Um, and so I was able to, you know, in those moments, I won't say that I wasn't scared. I was terrified, you know, and I was like, how did this happen to me? Cause you never think it's going to happen to you. You, you just never do. I mean, you always, even though now statistically it's one in two people, yeah. it used to be one in three women and one in two men. They have now changed it. It's one in two people that's going to get a cancer diagnosis. It doesn't mean that it's going to be uh, a death sentence. But that's why I tell people now, educate yourself as best you can, because it, if it's not you, it's going to be somebody you love, sadly, based on the world that we live in. Now, Tabitha, just let me pause there for a second. I just I'm, I'm conscious of your time and I'm so grateful you're sharing. But I want to continue and make sure the listeners hear now they've heard the uh, this this part of the story. And I want to make sure they hear the inspirational part at the end and where you are now. So are you OK for time if we can go over a little okay. bit? Fine. Oh, oh, thank you so much, because yeah. I want to really take our time and discuss, because this is absolutely 
so important to share. So thank you. Yeah, so, no um, so now, what are they giving you in terms of options? What are they saying to you for, for this? So um, I met with an oncologist. I can't remember the exact time frame. I want to say, I, I mean, I pushed it out as long as I could um, because I just, I, I already sort of knew uh, and I'd already been calling around and talking to um, some doctors. I'd actually did, did a phone consultation with one who ended up being one of my doctors. Um, he is a retired colorectal surgeon. Well, actually, I don't, I say retired, but I think he's actually still active. But he left basically like main practice to start a private practice, um, essentially to get away from insurance. He doesn't want to be, you know, dictated by, you know, the insurance laws and rules and all that. And, um, and he was just sick of not being able to help people get well, you know, type thing. So I, I did a phone consultation with him and um, he was, you know, uh, just kind of directing me on some things, but I decided I wasn't ready to work with him yet. I needed to really address the cancer part of it first. Um, and through a friend, I had learned of another um, procedure called RGCC, which is also, it's called Research for Genetic Cancers. It's not a test that's done here in the United States. Um, it is basically like a liquid biopsy, and they you have to find a doctor that knows how to read it and administer it here in the U.S., and they're very few. And then they send your blood overseas. Um, but before that, I also did meet with the oncologist, and I do work with an oncologist regularly, um, but basically just for monitoring. And I was a little bit nervous about that because I'd heard some, you know, stories that, you know, people where they just, you know, they didn't want to do the oncologist plan. And the oncologist was basically like, okay, well, then you're going to go find somebody else. I'm not going to work with you type thing. So I sort of had that preconceived notion in my head. Um, and I did meet with the oncologist and I um, asked him, I said, you know, I wanted to know all about, um, the pathology and he told me it was stage 3a um you know to the best of their ability i mean some of this is a little bit of guesswork on their part too you know um they they are only as good as the you know good as the information that they're reading um off of off of the pathology report and a lot of people will actually get second opinions based off of pathology um too because a lot of people don't know this too in, in, in hospitals with pathology um, they bid that out and it usually goes to the lowest bidder. So, um, and, and if you want to have like a second opinion pathology report, you're, you're going to pay for it out of pocket. And I had to decide at that point if I wanted to go that route and I decided not to because it was about $1,500. And I said, well, if I'm going to be facing something else, I want to keep that, you know, reserved, you know, for other treatments. So when I met with the oncologist and that's where I was diagnosed at and he said, we want you to do, um, you're going to do 24 rounds of chemotherapy. That's our recommendation. Um, it's uh, two different types of chemo, but 12 rounds each. So that's how it was 24. And I, and I said, well, what is the prognosis here? And he said, with, a, with or without treatment? And I said, yes. And he said, with, um, without treatment, without chemotherapy, you have about a 40% chance of recurrence. With treatment, it reduces it to about 20 maybe 10%. We don't know. And so in my head, I said, that's not a very big delta for 24 rounds of chemotherapy. And so, I mean, I didn't say that to him, you know, I, I just kept all that guarded. I was really just taking notes and just, you know, trying to do my due diligence in that sense. 
And, um, and so, you know, I asked him, I said, well, well, why so much? And he, and his answer back to me, he said, well, you're young. And I was 45 at the time. And so anything that is, if you're below what they consider geriatric, which is, you know, 65 or older, you're considered young. And he said, well, you're, you're young and you're relatively healthy and, and we think you can handle it. That, that's how they make their decision on how much chemotherapy you're going to get. Now, whether you get that much or not depends on how you react to it. You know, when you start getting the uh, infusions, you know, and, and how your, you know, symptoms are is, is based on how, how many, you know, rounds of chemotherapy that you're going to go through. And I just saw somebody say that it's business. And it is because um, I still have to this day the approval letter for my insurance company. I was approved for all the chemotherapy, and it was over $700,000 just for me, one person. And, you know, Tabitha, for those listeners that don't know, the irony of my past life was I used to be the vice president of a medical insurance company. Mm. So between, uh, you know, the cancer uh, treatments, um, always the most expensive back then when I was doing it, I'm going back uh, 10 plus years now, was premature babies. Um, but then came, of course, the organ transplants and cancer treatments okay. as being the most expensive. And you're $700,000 for just yourself. It's not shocking to me, but still unbelievable, really yeah. is. So you then had this, of course, which is the standard of care offered to you. Did they offer to, was radiation ever offered as well as an adjunct? Not for no, that? No, radiation was not um, on the table at that point because, uh, and I, I'm not really sure why, but I think at that point um, the cancer was contained in their mm. you know, minds. No one knew that that's what it was until it was actually found within you know, the pathology or within um, that section that was removed. And then of course the positive lymph nodes, but no radiation was not um, ever presented to me. Wow. Um, so now, yeah, now just recapping for those that just joined, you've seen your father-in-law go through a very similar diagnosis treatments and sadly had passed away. You are now faced with the exact same illness being offered the same treatment and you decide to forego all of this to go because of what you have learned prior and just to just because of what you've witnessed and how that affected your father-in-law is that's is that correct how, how you start to think yeah it was a very personal experience and again i try not to be dogmatic about it because i also know i have so i have a few friends that have had been diagnosed with breast cancer specifically and have gone through you know the mastectomy route radiation route chemotherapy route reconstruction route and they're doing well they're doing great so I'm really, um, you know, hesitant to, to say that one thing is, is, you know, an absolute. I think that everybody has their own path and own journey. Um, and in my case, I didn't have tumor burden. The tumor was removed. And a lot of people ask me sometimes, okay, well, what is tumor burden? Well, you know, when, when you have something, it's basically now becoming its own entity growing in your body, it's taxing it's taxing all the other organs. It's taxing your body to, you know, give it what it needs. Well, that in my case was removed. And that's one of the reasons why I decided I don't need to do chemotherapy. I know that there's more that I need to do. I know that surgery isn't a set it and forget it. I know that I can't heal um, in the same environment in which I got sick. 
That's a big, you know, uh, statement that a lot of health gurus will say, you cannot heal in the same environment in which you got sick, but it's so, so true. And it means a lot of different things. Environment can literally mean your whole life. And some people do have to change their whole life to figure it out. But some of us also, it's, you know, food is just one component, but there's stress. There's, you know, your uh, circadian rhythms. There's your light environment. There is spirituality. And, and I say this all the time, like the whole cancer journey is so much more mental, or it has been for me, than it is physical. Um, you know, I, I'm a professing Christian. And so, you know, I, I get messages like this. And I, I can't remember this guy's name, but a young man me messaged me. And he, was, he had been recently diagnosed too. And he was really struggling with his faith. But in the, you know, uh, holistic world, there is a little bit of the woo-woo stuff, you know. And my best friend says this all the time. She's like, it's one of those situations where you have to, you can, you can take the meat, but leave the bones. Meaning you don't have to consume it all. You know, there's, there's maybe some good in it for, you know, different things and different um, purposes. Like, for example, in nature, if you find a poisonous plant, usually nearby is the antidote. And that is like everywhere. Um, and so that's how I sort of look at it. But I read um, Joe Dispenza's book, um, The Placebo Effect, and as well as, um, gosh, what's the other one? I can't even think of it now. But anyways, I read two of his books. And I resonated with a lot of things. You know, a lot of people will get, the diagnosis itself is traumatic. You know, the diagnosis itself is stressful. And so there's been, you know, studies where people have literally been misdiagnosed and they went home and died because they believed the diagnosis. And then the opposite is true. There are people that have truly gotten really bad stage four diagnoses and were able to overcome it. And so, you know, I kind of fall in, in that camp where, you know, I know where I stand, you know, biblically and spiritually. Um, but there is a whole mental component to it where you have to basically decide, okay, this is, this is the mental fortitude I'm going to have. I mean, listen, none of us are going to live forever. That's not the goal of this. Not, the, the health journey is not, you know, like some of these biohackers will say, I'm going to live to 120. Well, in the current state that we're in, I don't know that I want that. <laughs> I really don't. Me either. <laughs> but I want to live the best life that I can within reason and not be a burden to somebody else. I have a lot of family member members that are just living such a sad existence because of the prescription meds and their lifestyle. And, and they can't see what they're doing to themselves, you know, type thing. And so that, that's really where it came from for me. So, yeah, so um, that was probably a really long answer to your question. But, it, you know, in this holistic space, there's a lot of that um, stuff that, that some people will think will go against the grain of, you know, the Christian faith or go against the grain of um, just, you know, what the Bible has to say in general and food wars I can, I don't even get me started on that. Um, but I do believe that, you know, we are very, we are all spiritual beings. We are all energy at the end of the day, we are energy beings. And I do believe that 
the Lord, I mean, we, all of us have been appointed a day unto die. But at the same time, I also believe that all of the healing therapies that we need, he has provided for us. So Tabitha, now let me just, there's a couple of points I want to make too. So now you've, you've decided you've, you've refused the conventional treatments and please take your time. I know you need some water. Um, you, I know you had read Dr. Baker's book, The Carnivore Diet, um, and you, you had already done a great deal of research on the ketogenic diet and its benefit not only for uh, the brain, but also in terms of cancer treatments as well, you know, because we know that cancer fundamentally feeds on glucose and glutamine. And the ketogenic diet is, is you know, one that can greatly assist with that. Um, you mentioned in his podcast that you slowly start to eliminate plants and you felt better the more plants that you eliminated, the sort of the inflammation went down. Um, I know you had the ileostomy in place during this time. How long was it in place again? And I, the one point I want to touch on is I heard you say that someone there recommended that you eat marshmallows to assist with the ileostomy being in place in the digestion. Is that true? That's crazy. Yeah. So um, I was appointed. Um, I have really good insurance through my company, and I don't know exactly what that means. But I, I, looking back over my hospital bill now, when I said earlier I had all these attending physicians, well, I know why I had all these attending physicians now. It's because they could charge my insurance, essentially. Uh, it was crazy. Like when I got the itemized bill, my seven day stay in the hospital was, you know, it was well over six figures. And I'm extremely grateful for that um, because I didn't have to pay that. Obviously, I only had to pay my deductible. But I was assigned a home health care nurse, which helped tremendously. Um, you know, just learning how to um, deal with a bag. My husband's father had a bag at the end of his life. And so, um, that I never saw that. I never witnessed that, you know, part of it. I was never around um, them when there was, it was bad changing time or anything. So when that happened to me, I was so, so grateful, sad for my husband that he's having to do this, but I was so grateful for him that he knew how to do this because it's not easy. And I don't know if anybody's ever curious, but you can go on YouTube and there's there's lots of uh, people that live with an ileostomy on a daily basis. Like this is the rest of their lives and you'll see what it, it what it entails. But um, I had it for 16 weeks. Um, and so that that was another part of it, too, is I knew at that point um, I didn't want to do chemo. But I was also thinking, OK, if I have to do chemo for some reason. Um, I don't want to do it while I have an ileostomy because my body, this isn't normal. This isn't natural. I mean, I would eat something and it would empty into the back so fast. I dropped weight. I got really, really thin. I'm 5'1". Um, I got down to about 105 pounds, which was really, um, I mean, I was just, you could see my bones. Um, and it was, and I was eating. I was eating as much as I could, but I just, I couldn't retain it. It's, it's, it's called short bowel syndrome. And a lot of people have this with an ileostomy, and they'll tell you um, all these different tricks. They want you to drink Miralax to thicken it up, to thicken up the output so, or slow it down so that you, because your small intestines, that's where the majority of your nutrients are actually absorbed. And I wasn't, that wasn't happening for me because um, it was emptying so quickly. I mean, I was um, started, I had already started uh, with my holistic cancer doctor, a regimen with different supplements and IV vitamin C and that sort of thing. 
Um, but when I would take the supplements, I mean, within 10 minutes, they would be in the bag undissolved. That's how fast it was going through me. So, um, you know, I, I uh, met with the original surgeon again. I want to say it was at, they told me I would have the ileostomy between six to eight weeks. So I met with the original um, surgeon. I want to say it was around week five. It might have been around week six. And it's like, I want to get this thing reversed. And he said, well, we need to do, we need to do a colonoscopy first because I, I need to make sure that you're healed. And I had to do like this whole enema, you know, process too, where they put this, I mean, enormous amount of fluid in you to make, you know, where they had taken out the colon. They wanted to make sure that all, I, had com I had completely healed. So I went through the, both of those procedures and everything was fine. However, the uh, original surgeon said, um, he told my husband, he said, she still has C. diff. She, they, I was on vancomycin, which is like, I know well. Antibiotic that you can be on. It is literally like dropping napalm on your system. And so, but, and I had been researching C. diff because it just blew my mind. I couldn't believe that I had this and I had no symptoms of C. diff. Well, that's when I decided to go meet with the other colorectal um, surgeon who is now a functional medicine doctor. His name is Dr. Jerby. And, and he had, access to all of my charts through Novant Hospital. He could, you know, he's still affiliated with them, so he could read everything. And I met with him, and he looked over everything, and he goes, you don't have C. diff. This is not C. diff. This is not, he's like, you are completely healed. You are absolutely ready for, to reverse this ileostomy. And he gave me the name of two surgeons. He said, meet with these two guys, and, uh, and they'll, they'll take care of you. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I had to obviously get on their list. And so it took another, I don't know, maybe about another four or five weeks at that point. It was right before Christmas. Um, I was able to get the uh, ileostomy reversed. And, and working with Dr. Jerby, he had me doing a lot of different things to prepare. That's another very big scare with people that have uh, reversals of ileostomies or a colonoscopy, or not colonoscopy, but um, a coloscopy. Um, is you just the you're never the same. You're never you know you're never the same. You have chronic diarrhea. Um, you don't have control over your bowels, that sort of thing. And that was not my experience whatsoever. Um, in fact, you know, the surgeon that did it, he, he was ready for me to go home the next day. But my husband asked, he's like, can she stay just one more night? Cause he was worried. He wanted to make sure that I was, I was okay enough to go home. And he was like, yeah, he's like, you know, you can stay one more night, but she's, she's fine. She's ready to go home. Um, so that's, that's, you know, it was about 16 weeks that I had the ileostomy. And I, I recall you saying, Tabitha, that your digestion on immediately was back to normal. That's correct? Yes, immediately. And why, what do you attribute that fantastic healing and that ability to, um, having, having done that is, is, is that because of your, your, you know, your ketogenic experience beforehand, the diet you were doing, your, you know, setting yourself up. Is that what you think happened there? Yeah, so that's a good question. Let me go back. So when I, after diagnosis, of course, um, you know, all the things that you hear are like, red meat causes cancer, red meat causes cancer, red meat causes cancer. And then I'm, I'm going, oh my God, did I do this to myself? You know, has, was the ketogenic diet the wrong thing to do? You know, I mean, you have those moments. Um, but fortunately, you know, I would pray on things and, you know, I would just be aligned with the right person. I would be aligned with the right information. I would, 
you know, open up a page to a book and I would just, you know, be reassured, you know, of, of something that, no, this is, you did not, this is not what caused this. This was something else caused it for sure. And we can get into that, what my hypothesis is, because pathology came back that, um, that, that they, the cause of the perforation was unknown. Um, pathology came back, it was um, either the C. diff that had caused the perforation, um, the tumor, because it was eight centimeters, had grown and caused the perforation, or it was endometriosis. I was actually diagnosed with endometriosis in the colon, and I have never had endometriosis as a female in any of my other organs ever. And so when, that really puzzled me. And we, you know, tried to learn about that. And, um, you know, it, from what I understand, endometriosis is just buildup of scar tissue. Well, why does your body make scar tissue? It's to protect itself from something. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, okay, something I had been eating potentially caused a wound and I was building up scar tissue to protect this wound and perhaps the wound never healed and it evolved into cancer. And, you know, I, like I said on the podcast with Sean Baker, um, you know, I was eating all the things, you know, all the years of quinoa, chickpeas, uh, Ezekiel bread, um, and it would just kill my stomach. I would get distended, very, very bloated, and I just would feel just, just that terrible trapped gas feeling I would have to lay on my stomach for about an hour just to get some relief. And, and then I would have to fast for 24 hours and not eat anything to make the pain go away. Now that wasn't all the time, but it was with certain things. And I just was not connecting. I did finally make the connection with the Ezekiel bread that, Hey, this is not doing well for me. But another thing, and this was probably back in 2015. I don't uh, know if anybody remembers, but there was the plant protein called Vega. Oh yes, we had a we had an earth fair near us, and I'd been hearing all these great things about how good Vega is, Vega, 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 and so I bought a big container of it, and I made maybe two or three shakes, and it was awful. It I ended up having to give it away, and I feel bad now that I even gave it to somebody. Um, but you know, it was like sixty bucks, so I was like, hey, I'm gonna at least let somebody else use it because whatever it is, and I still didn't make the connection back then that this stuff was just tearing up my, in my intestines somehow, you know, some way. Um, I, I was just going back to how terrible, you know, I now since switching to carnivore and being plant-based vegan before my digestion got worse and worse. And I, I was, as I've often talked about, you know, I was looking, I, I, there's no way I thought it could have been the diet that was causing, causing the bleeding from my bowels and severe malnutrition and weight loss. I, at six foot one and a bit, I got down to 127 pounds at myelitis, which was very emaciated, very malnourished. And, and I kept hammering home. I was juicing like you did smoothies with chia seeds and kale and just tremendous abdominal pain, bloating, gas. I was constantly in pain, but since I've eliminated all that, my digestion has never been better. I don't experience any of that anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's just incredible. And, you know, you often talk about how in the cancer space that you, when you research sort of homeopathic diets to use, it's a lot of plant-based stuff. There's not a lot of stuff out there saying, you know, for carnivore and ketogenic diets to support the cancer. It's all this plant-based agenda that you found out there, isn't it? Yeah. 
So when I, uh, that, yes, yeah, so when I was um, uh, interviewing doctors, when I decided I wanted to do the RGCC testing, which is a very expensive test, it's out of pocket, it's not covered by insurance, it can run you about $4,000, but I just had, I landed, okay, I want to, to do this and find out more about it. Um, I interviewed three different doctors. Because uh, at this point, I'd gotten in my mind, I'm like, okay, I am the CEO of this. You know, I even probably got a little arrogant, but I'm like, I'm the CEO of this. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to gather all the information, and I'm going to make the best decision for myself. Even if I die tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. And um, one of the doctors that I interviewed, she completely plant-based, and she berated me over the phone about doing ketogenic. She's like, you are doing the wrong thing. You absolutely need to get on a plant-based diet. Do you understand? Do you know what Gerson is? You need to do the Gerson therapy right now. Well, yeah, I know what Gerson is. I'd already researched all about Gerson. And I'm like, lady, I, I did juice. And I felt the worst that I'd ever felt. I didn't do the full Gerson therapy, but I felt, you know, terrible. And so uh, the, the third, uh, the second doctor, I interviewed three, but the second doctor that I interviewed was the most open and was like, you know, we will tell people what to eat. We make the recommendations based off of their, of, of their labs, you know, off of their blood work. And so uh, he's about three and a half hours away from me. And I don't even agree with everything that he says, you know, but I just look at it as information gathering and then I can make the decision for myself. Well, um, when, after I did the RGCC, it came back that therapeutic ketosis is what I needed to do. And that was like, okay, I have, I have some science here that is telling me that therapeutic ketosis, and, and now I know better because I've read more books. You can go on the PubMed and look up the phenotype of any type of cancer, you know, just simple keyword searches. But if anybody looks up the phenotype, it will tell you exactly, you know, what fuels the cancer in your body based off of what we know. And so, yeah, colon cancer is definitely, uh, the phenotype is glucose for sure. All cancers, you know, feed off of, of glucose and, and all cancers, yes, glutamine, and you have to figure out, you know, different, you know, pathways. But that, that's what we set out on my cancer doctor, my holistic cancer doctor, who is a MD. I also want to say that because a lot of people, They'll message me and they're like, well, um, I want to go see this naturopath or that naturopath. And they'll ask my opinion. I really don't have an opinion. But for me, it needed to be somebody that was still an MD in case I needed, you know, also traditional you know, care in some way, some shape, some form. And a lot of this, you know, can come alongside of standard of care and, and help. And I've known several people that I've actually gone through standard of care, chemotherapy specifically, but then they also go to their functional medicine doctor and they do therapies that help the chemotherapy be effective and not have the side effects and that sort of thing. So again, I don't want to say, tell anybody that don't do chemotherapy. That, that's not what I'm here to say. Like it, it is applicable in certain situations, but informed consent is the most important thing. Like you need to understand what you're getting into instead of just sitting back and, and being a uh, participant. I mean, not a participant, but just, a, you know, you need to be a participant instead of just uh, letting somebody else make the decision for you. So, um, but yes, I have read the book, um, The Carnivore Diet um, by Dr. Sean Baker. And I was, you know, I, I 
just resonated with a lot of things that he had to say. And that was actually going to be my next experiment was I, I was going to do 30 days of carnivore. I had gotten his book. I want to say it was May or June right before diagnosis, read the book and then um, was going to do it in either, you know, July or August or September, but then I got sick and that kind of derailed my plans. Um, so, but anyways, uh, going through the healing process, when I'd gone back to have, you know, the staples removed, um, they didn't take, they couldn't take out all the staples because they had started taking out the staples and then and I, they realized I hadn't healed properly. I had fluid pockets and so it had burst. Um, so they left some of the staples in and they're like, okay, we're going to have you come back in two to three weeks. But the nurse practitioner told me, she said, you need to be eating a lot of protein. Protein is very healing. She said it to me two different times. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I'm eating protein, you know, because in my head, I am. I'm eating protein, but I would love to go back and talk to her now because I, I can see it now. It was definitely more, she was trying to get a message across to me, you know, more so um, that I wasn't eating enough protein. And in, and ba even back then I thought, you know, well, I'm getting protein from peanut butter, from plants, certain plants or certain, you know, this, that, and the other. I wasn't thinking in terms of the way I do now, more animal protein. You said a couple of things that really struck me in, in that interview, too. Um, one of the things you said was, you're never living life as if you don't have cancer again. Um, just expand on that a little bit for the listeners. It just it talks to about being diligent, doesn't it, in your approach to everything? Absolutely. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time, I think, you know, in my mind running from cancer because of my father-in-law and just all the things. I mean, I think that if I had to guess, I'm sure that is the scariest diagnosis. And it's in everyone's head. Nobody wants to hear that word, right? Um, and so now I'm not, I'm not scared of it at all, to be honest with you. I, I mean, in, you know, I even heard a doctor say once um, that a patient said, he, a patient had come to him and said, I have cancer. I want you to help me okay, great, I can help you. And they were like, but it's in my lymph nodes. And the doctor was like, it's in your lymph nodes. Why are you afraid of that? That's a good thing. Your white blood cells are in your lymph nodes. That means your body's doing what it's supposed to do. And so we all, and, and to me, that was like, oh, okay, now I understand. Because, you know, you hear, oh, it's in their lymph nodes. And you, it's almost like, oh, that's not good. But no, actually, maybe your body's doing what it's supposed to do. But yeah, in terms of stating that I'll never live my life as if I don't have cancer, you know, those of us who have received the diagnosis, I think it's just common knowledge, at least in the health space, that you just can't let your guard down at that point. You know, you just, it doesn't mean that I'm not ever going to enjoy some ice cream or, you know, do this that, and the other. But for the most part of my life, you know, 90% of it or 95% of it, I'm, I have to be diligent. And it's also like learning the lesson. It's like, okay, well, I got this. I'm doing okay. I'm doing well. So what's the lesson here? Am I supposed to share this with other people? Am I supposed to now live as an example so that, you know, people can see through me that maybe there's another way? I mean, so like my best friend said the other day, she was like, you know, uh, unto much is given, unto much is expected. You know, and so I feel like I've been given a gift here and I'm not going to squander it away by going back to my old ways. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, 
but again, I want to be really clear. It's not just about the whole food component of it. While food is very important. Oh, we're going to get into that too, the other parts in a second. Yeah, there was a lot of things that I was doing that was not helping me. That was not serving me. Um, you know, staying indoors too much. Uh, you know, the blue light, you know, just, and, and, you know, I've really learned a lot about biomodulization and red light therapy and sauna. I'll never not have a sauna in my house again. Now I understand, you know, the power of what a, a you know, of, of what sauna actually does for the human body. Um, you know, movement, you know, getting at least eight to 10,000 steps in a day and that's nothing. And if I can't get the steps in, I'll just jump on my rebounder and get the steps in that way. You know, rebounding, moving the lymphatic system, um, gosh, what else, you know, just prayer and meditation and practicing gratitude and, uh, you know, being in fellowship with other people. There was, there was a lot of things aside from, from food. Maybe I had the food part, right. I don't know. Maybe, you know, like I, we were talking about eliminating the plants, but there was a lot of other things that I was doing on a daily basis that wasn't serving my health making sure that I'm sleeping. I mean, sleep is a yes. thing. Uh, people know, my husband and I both, we, we, we are on the same sleep schedule and our, you know, the phones go off usually, you know, nine, nine 30 uh, or even before that. But, you know, uh, you know, we, we cherish our sleep time and, and getting quality sleep is, is the most you know important thing for, for healing. This ties into another thing you said, Tabitha, and sorry for the interruption, but it's really well. You said the body can heal itself as long as we get out of the way. And I firmly agree with you. Um, and it's, it's very similar to my journey in that I used the carnivore animal-based way of eating, transitioning into it as the first lever I pulled. You know, we talk about these levers. And as I began to get stronger in my body and my mind started functioning again, because like you, I had the brain fog, I wanted to then optimize my health to get back to being, you know, a norm feeling normal again. But once we find out that you can even feel better than normal, feel better than you did prior to all of this, and you use these experiences, it's an absolutely incredible thing. Like, like you, I ground every day. I get to bed at a decent hour, blue light blockers at night. Uh, I do cold plunging for the hermetic stress. I do infrared sauna. I have a blanket, infrared sauna blanket sitting right here beside me. All these things that we do are part of the process. And yes, I love to talk about the diet because it was such a big game changer for me, but it was part of both you and I's journey. The last thing you said is that healing comes from God. He gives us the tools that we need to heal. And we're just talking about that, right? And you've talked about your faith. Uh, certainly my journey restored my faith. I mean, I always had it, but I, I had been absent and I admit that. Um, but when we're, we're faced with despair, who do we have to rely on? You know, And, and I firmly, there's no other way around my own healing journey that I could have found the path that I did to get back to where I am. And I'm just so thankful for other people getting out there and showing the way, which is why I now am so committed to letting other people hear my story and starting this thing to let people like you tell their own testimonies. Because as my dear friend, the grandma would say, the best testimony is a changed life, isn't it? Amen. Amen. I agree. 100%. I'm, I'm sorry that you went through that, but I'm also glad because look at where you are now that's it you know that's and that's what I, that's what i tell people I mean, some most people now have forgotten that i was even sick at one point you know like it doesn't even come up in, in conversation which is totally fine um but you know just to think about that you know section of my life and you know now we're more than two years past it now 
I look, I do the same. I look back and I can see everything was woven together. You know, it, everything was knitted together specifically for some plan. And I just want to make sure that I'm a good steward of it. I've been granted health again. It doesn't fall lightly on me and I want to be a good steward. And I just, I really just want to help others. My husband gets sick of it, you know, cause he had to live it with his dad. And then he went through it with me and he, he is a very firm believer as well. Uh, he's a very good participant. Um, but there's only so much conversation around it that he can take. He's like, can we talk about something else? You know, <laughs> so having, doing these lives is, is a, is a good outlet for me. Cause I think there's a lot of people, um, you know, that probably gets sick of, of hearing it from me. <laughs> um, one question that came through prior to this, Tabitha, was a lot of people ask about switching over to the ketogenic diet and the transition period. Did you have any transition issues with electrolytes, mineral imbalances, anything of that? Did you have to supplement with minerals or how did that go for you? Yeah, when I first really got into uh, keto, I, I would say maybe that was around 2014, 2015-ish. I did everything wrong. I did everything wrong. I mean, I just, and, and I wasn't consistent, you know, with it because I would get dizzy. I would wake up and I felt like the room was spinning. Well, now I know my electrolytes were off and I was probably low salt. Mm. Um, and not sticking to whole foods, like one ingredient, you know, foods. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, electrolytes are so important. Salt, magnesium, potassium, even calcium. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have gone through the process of, you know, eliminating the vegetables, like I said on, on Dr. Baker's podcast. Um, and just, you know, feeling better. I, I, I don't know if I will re reintroduce certain vegetables. Like right now, I know that cauliflower makes me feel terrible. It bloats me. It just, and I was doing like all the cauliflower stuff that I could find, you know, the cauliflower mash, the cauliflower this, the cauliflower pizzas, da, 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 da. Um, you know, I'm not an, an almond flour, you know, the, I'm learning more about the whole oxalate things. Um, and it is definitely opening my eyes. I'm not... I don't fall in the camp that I think that every plant food is bad and evil. I fall in the camp of I do believe that plants are medicinal, you know, and that, you know, but animal foods are the, the very therapeutic and very, and very healing. And perhaps somebody might need to go on a carnivore diet for 30, 60, 90 days to heal something. Um, and, and perhaps some people have to do it for their whole lives, but I don't think it's a one size fits all. Um, there's definitely uh, nuance to everything. You, you know, we have to we have to sort of figure that out. Um, you know, watching my um, best friend who is you know they're homesteaders and they have a farm, watching what they go through with raising animals and you know gardening and all the things. You know, it, I don't think if God created it, it, it I don't think it's bad. It, it just you know He wouldn't do that. Um, but I think what humans do. Is, is we get in and we muck it up and, and things like almond flour. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, I mean, it probably takes a hundred almonds to make almond flour. Well, where in nature would you eat a hundred almonds in one sitting or a walnut? If anybody like we, I'm in the South, so we have tons of walnut trees. Um, if you go out and you grab a walnut, that has got the green outer casing of it and you have to peel that off. And then you got the black outer casing and you have to pry that off. I mean, it's, so much work to get one walnut out to eat it. Or even if you think about Christmas, right, usually people will have a, a nut bowl, or at least they have in, 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 you know, my neck of the woods with a nut cracker. And, you know, you think about the chestnuts or whatever. I mean, you just, 
the work that it would take to eat that one nut is a lot and you just wouldn't eat it in excess like we do now. And I think that's the same thing that's happened with plants. Um, you know, we just wouldn't eat it in excess. You know, we wouldn't do like spinach and kale smoothies in natural life. We wouldn't, you know, it, you know, like Dr. Baker said, it doesn't, it doesn't sound appealing. We wouldn't go out and say, oh, let me try this leaf and see if it tastes good. You know, it, does, it doesn't. Usually you have to do a lot to make vegetables taste good. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not also saying that, you know, we shouldn't eat those things. It's, it's more like seasonal. And, and so many people don't understand what seasonal actually means. They still, there's still no residency with that, you know? So, uh, but carnivore for me, I do eat a lot of carnivore meals. I'm not a full-on carnivore. My husband and I, we've made an agreement in January. We are going to do 30 days together or 31 days of carnivore together. Mm-hmm. He's agreed to it. Um, he wants to get past the holidays, of course, first. But um, we, you know, we do, we do. We just eat a lot of carnivore meals. We eat a lot of, you know, uh, we'll have carnivore days. We'll have carnivore weeks. And it's just, it's just where I feel my best. Tabitha, I think that's a great spot for us. Thank you so, so much today. This has been absolutely incredible. I, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. You're such an amazing, inspirational uh, woman. Um, where can folks find you? Folks, if you haven't followed Tabitha here today, which I'm sure you're going to at Tab's Healing Journey, is there any other spots that you have that you, do you allow people to follow you and get inspired by your story? I mean, it's mostly here, just Instagram. Yeah, so, yeah. but I appreciate it. And I just want to thank you for what you're doing in this space. I mean, you... I've been following your page for a while now, I think a couple of months, actually. And oh, thank you. Yeah, I love the, the information that you put out there. I love the fact that um, there is openness to thoughts. I really appreciated that because I do think that in the, the food wars space, we can get really dogmatic. It's human oh. nature. You know, we want to pick a side. We want to pick a tribe. Um, but... It's definitely more nuanced than that, and it's not—it's not a one-size-fits-all. We can't—we can't. We can't um, I just don't—I just don't think that serves anybody. You know, it, 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 in fact—in fact, it pushes people away when you get so dogmatic and you're like, "My way is the only way." People don't want to hear that. But I, so I appreciate the way you present it. Yeah, I, I don't think any dogma. We're all unique individuals here on this earth, and I think we all have our own experiences, and we should all experiment and find what works for us and what doesn't. And Clearly, Tabitha, you are doing really, really well, and I'm so happy for you and happy for your husband and family, and uh, I wish you the very best, very best, and thank you once again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening, and also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equip Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute carnivore coaching session through Avero Health. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well.